happy, uh, exciting Sunday for preschoolers up. Fall Fest, I have heard, is going to be uh, lit, as the kids are saying these days. So uh, enjoy that. And, um, you know, Allison is right. Uh, a couple weeks ago, when Greg was up here teaching, um, I took the Sunday in the toddler room. And, um, A, getting to know your kids is a strange blessing because I learn a lot about parents through their kids. So that for me is fun. Um, if they're old enough to talk, I was grilling some of them, um, just so you know. But um, there's something really kind of magical about um, getting on the floor and hanging out with some toddlers or rocking someone's baby or um, teaching a, a first grader about grace. And so as Allison makes her appeal, I would say... Um, if that's at all something that when she's saying that, you're wondering if that's for you, um, if it's not a definite no, I would challenge you to investigate what that maybe might be for you. Because if it is just moving furniture into the gym, um, that's opening up the doors uh, to a child to hear about Jesus. And if it is directly teaching them, if that's your gift, um, that's fantastic. So um, that will be on the info table, and you can figure that out for yourselves. But I just want to say, um, it's a ton of fun, and I've done it, so um, I highly recommend it. If you are a guest with us, um, we are glad you're here, and we have this card. This card is our magical guest card. Um, it really is super simple. It has your name, phone, and email. You can only fill out two of the three if you want. You don't even have to do it all. And what we ask for you to do is fill this out at the info table, and we have a mug for you with some coffee in it. It's got a free donut. It's Stimmel's. And so we want to love you that way. And the reason we want this is not because we want to spam you with email. We promise we won't do that. We want to know you. Um, we want to figure out how we can serve you. And so when Allison is trying to figure out how to serve kids, when guests with kids come, uh, we find out about that through these little ways to go, oh, you have children, and how can we serve them, and how can we love you, and how can we pray for you? And so this is a fun community. It's a great family, and it's one that always has an open seat. So if you're a guest with us, this would be uh, the easiest way to connect. Um, if this is too much, you are welcome to come and talk to me and say, hey, I don't like to write, but I like to talk. And we can do it any other way, but we want to get to know you. We want to pray for you. We want to invite you into the community that way. Um, if you uh, are, have been with us for any number of weeks, we are in our Grow series, and so we're going to continue that today with our series, uh, or our sermon on peace. And so we're talking about peace today. And peace is, I think, something of a challenge for us in our culture because we are an outside-in sort of culture. We, we put on a veneer of peace for all to see, never let them see you sweat, right? If you scroll through, if you're on social media and you scroll through your Facebook feed, my hunch is you will not see many people telling you about the fight they just had with their spouse or how terrible their children are, about how much their job is the worst or um, their status in life is not what they want it to be. What we tend to put out for others is our highlight reel of life. And what that hides behind the surface is that for most of us, and especially for some of us in seasons, we lack peace. We lack true peace. I said last week that we uh, typically go to pills, programs, and preoccupations, meaning uh, we medicate our way to dull the pain. I don't want to feel that. Uh, we read a self-help book because maybe this will be the thing that gets me over the edge, or, or we just distract ourselves to hope it just goes away. We pick all kinds of things to do this, and, and I don't want to say that in a, a pithy way as if I'm um, accusatory. I was thinking about it this morning as I was preparing 
Um, and it occurred to me that in my own life, these are diagnostics. Uh, as I look at my own life, I can't really honestly and objectively say I feel like I have great peace or I don't have great peace. I have to go to those things and go, you know, am I distracting myself more than normal? Am I really, I don't really care about NBA basketball, do I? Because I, I read like 10 pages on the internet today. I don't care about that. Why am I so distracted? And for me, that's a diagnostic that drives me back to the original question. What is it I'm running from? I read a book a year and a half ago called How to Stay Sane. You would think that would ping something in my head that maybe I was lacking some peace in my life, but I just thought it was a good thing to add to my knowledge base. And if I would have applied the diagnostic, I would have said, you know what, maybe I need to go to the root cause. There's something that's not right in my life. The other thing that I can say for sure is there was a good season from about August 2014 until late 2015, where I was waking up every morning at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., not waking up to go back to sleep, but just up. The anxiety of the next conversation, the anxiety of the next difficult dialogue I had to have, the anxiety of um, the circumstances in my life had caught up. I had uh, work challenges and we had uh, some relational things that were swirling about. And what I recognized uh, only well after the fact is that about every three nights, uh, my wife and I would kind of figure out whose night it was to grab a Tylenol PM just so you could make it through that 2 a.m. wake up call. And this is a strategy that parents of young children use. And there's, when I say pills and programs and preoccupations, I'm not saying that as a, a way to say, do away with all of it. I'm saying it as a way to go, look at the diagnostics in your life. It wasn't until later that I went, you know what, if I'm taking a Tylenol PM every three nights so I can maybe get a full night's sleep, maybe the issue isn't that I'm not sleeping well. Maybe there's a greater lack of peace in my life. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to see... Um, that true peace is not found in the absence of chaos. It's not in the absence of struggle. It's not in the absence of adversity. It's not in changing your job or your relationship. It's not in changing something in your life and removing it so you can then have peace again. True peace is rather found in the presence of a living sovereign God. And so what we're going to see is that the ability to say, it is well with my soul, to truly and honestly in yourself be able to say, it is well, comes from Christ alone. And so we're going to be in the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll put it on the screen for you as well. In Philippians 4, Paul writes this. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And as a result... The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, whatever you've seen, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know 
I know in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And so the question we ask as we read that is, what, what is peace? A lot of us get to a place where we consider peace in the same line as apathy. If I just cared less about this, it wouldn't bother me so much. And so we learn to stop caring. We learn to turn off. We learn to switch off. And what we get to is a false peace. We get to a place where, sure, we're not bothered by it, but it's still not resolved. Other people go to a place of blind trust. We get to a place where we say, you know what, I, I'm just going to kind of do the, this, the, the church member thing and raise my hands and say, you know what, I just gave it to the Lord. And I, I just trust. I trust the Lord's going to, he's going to do it. I don't, don't even tell me about it. Let's just pray. It's all good. And that doesn't ever resolve either, because neither apathy nor blind trust is actually faith. One is refusing to acknowledge that it exists anymore, and the other is uh, refusing to acknowledge that it's even real. And the reality of our life, the reality of living in a fallen world, is that we deal with stuff. That life has challenges and seasons come that uh, are difficult, and we work through these things. And should we not work through them, should we either flip off or just space out, what we end up doing is living a lie. What we see is that in verse 7, he says, peace is transcendent. Peace is transcendent. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it's transcendent. It goes over and above any circumstance. And so what this is, this peace that we're talking about, is not, I feel better today. This peace is sort of an equilibrium, no matter your circumstance. Not an emotional equilibrium, but a a soul equilibrium. Sadness does not mean you lack peace. It simply means that something sad has happened. And we have to stop equating emotional uh, reality with whether or not we're in a place of right relationship with God and right peace with Him. And so real peace is this steadying, sure-footed thing that takes you through life. So when you hit a storm, or if you're in one now, you say, I can still get up in the morning. I can still do what I'm called to do, and I may not be real happy about where my life is. But it is where I am, and you know what? I got something greater I live for. So often we see the promise of peace in the elimination of things. If I get rid of this stress, if I get rid of this job, if I get out of this relationship, if I just change enough things, maybe it's circumstantial. Maybe I could have peace if I just got there. The reality that everybody knows is no diversion ever really brings peace. You can watch a four-hour football game, and your problems are the same at the end as they were when they started. In fact, men, sometimes your problems are worse, <laughs> right? How many of us go on vacation to try to grab some peace? And you come home and you say, I need a vacation from my vacation. Or you go back to work, and the pile of stuff waiting on your desk is twice as large as it was when you left, and you go, that was really not the smartest idea. I'm more stressed out now because I took a vacation. You've heard this phrase, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, and that's just because we're not there to trample it yet, right? The reason the grass on our side of the fence is looking the way it is is because we're over there walking on it. And so once we jump the fence to the greener grass, it's only a matter of time we bring our problems with us. You can't outrun your problems, but you also can't outrun God, and that's the hope here. Peace is not the absence of something, it's the presence of someone. In verse 7, it uses the word to guard your heart. 
This word guard is actually, it's not what we would take it. It's, it's a military term. It's literally the, the sentinel at the gate. That, that this peace, this transcendent peace will guard your heart. This is vivid, active imagery. This is not the way we say guard. When we pray, Lord, just guard our hearts in this thing, Lord. Heavenly Jesus, just guard us from this thing. We're saying it kind of as a passive, I don't know, maybe Jesus will help me here. And this is saying, no, the transcendent peace of God, the presence of God in your life will actively, as a military sentinel at the gate, will guard your heart, will preserve your peace, will give you a place in your soul that can be content. This is active protection. All religions, all self-help books, they all focus on elimination. Eastern religions are great at elimination. You want to be the best Buddhist in the world, you get rid of everything, you find total zen. Christianity says peace does not come from eliminating all of that. It comes from adding something on top of it to be greater. Christians say peace comes from living with a greater power. It's addition, not subtraction. Well, should I stop this sin habit? Sure, that's helpful. But that outside of the presence of God is not going to bring peace. It'll bring relief, but that's different. Verse 4, he says, rejoice, find joy. Find joy in the Lord Jesus always. Again, I say rejoice. How many days, we talked about joy last week, how many days do we wake up going, you know what, I have an incredible joy in Jesus today. And Paul says, rejoice. It's not, it's not like surprise at a birthday party. It's a command, rejoice. Find joy every day. Why? Verse 5, because the Lord is near. I don't know about you, I take it for granted. I absolutely take for granted that the Lord is near to me. And I preach it all the time, and yet I find myself communicating with a distant spiritual entity, not a present, intimate God. So if you lack joy, we said joy is found in nearness, and if you can remember that he is near, then joy comes in the morning. We have an active God guarding our hearts, doing work on our behalf. What's the work that he did? Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, just briefly. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Listen to the action words here. Who's doing the work? He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Dead men don't act. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. This is an active God that is actively patrolling your life, that is guarding your peace, that is on a proactive march to see us brought to wholeness. Verse 17, he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So to those who have accepted Jesus' as sacrifice, to those who call themselves followers of Christ and surrendered their life in Jesus, Jesus says, this is your peace. You have all of the peace on offer. There's not like a, a recipe for greater peace then. You have access to all of it. Whether you access it or not is up to you. We have a profound peace, and what it's saying in, in Ephesians 2 is this is not a peace like you and I experience when I take two Tylenol PM and I finally get a good night's sleep. That's relief. 
The peace on offer from Christ is a peace that makes dead men alive. What about peace with others? Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. I have to say that a couple weeks ago, I challenged uh, us as a community to, to make peace with each other. I stood here and I said, look, we've been through some stuff as a people. And, and just hearing the whispers from different corners of the room, I know that there are unreconciled relationships in this room, in this community. And I said, we got to get that right. And I want to tell you, to your credit, I've heard other whispers in this two weeks since of people actually doing this, of walking across the room, of making a phone call, of going down the street, of sitting in living rooms of, of people in this church to go, you know what, you're right, I held this against you. Or you know what, I, I've been holding this sin against you for a while. Or, or you know what, I, I kind of think this of you and I don't think it's fair and I need you to forgive me. Or you did this to me and, and we got to make it right. It's been happening, which is insane and beautiful. So A, well done. B, if you still have one of those things, if you're still holding one of those things, and you heard it two weeks ago and you went, "Eh, yeah, that doesn't sound like much fun. We've been shown the way to peace, forgiveness, and self-sacrifice. I would say it this way. All peace is fought for. It doesn't just happen. All peace is fought for. And maybe more importantly, as you approach somebody, as you mind the gap with another person to say, look, we got to get this right. All peace requires someone to surrender. And so as we go to brothers and sisters, as we go to people and try to find unity, we don't go with the spirit of saying, I need you to know how wrong you were. We go with the spirit that says, I need you to know that we're not right and we need to be whole. Why? Because what does it say? Paul says it's about unity. This love that he's given us is about binding us in perfect unity. It's about finding the peace that we were called as one body. So when scripture says the house divided cannot stand, it's talking about us as a church. People who pray for a a revival in America, for uh, the culture to take on better Christian values, you know the where that starts with us. We will be only as effective as we are unified. And so the challenge remains, if you have something, man, make it right. If you go to somebody and you don't get through the first time, they say, yeah, I don't think that's an issue, actually. That's okay. You're only responsible for what you're responsible for. But it's like a boulder on the beach. It's not broken by one wave, but by the constant action of the waves. And so if you do, as it says in Colossians, if you put on love in your relationships, especially with people you don't like, and you put on love, that 
constant wave action of love will break down the boulder that is between the two of you. It's not about being proven right. It's about being made whole. It's about being a unified body. That's how we find peace with each other. It's through difficult but glorious and honest relationship. How do you find inner peace? I actually think in Philippians, uh, Paul lays out three pretty clear steps. This is not all that common in Scripture. Usually we have to kind of figure out what he's trying to say, but I think there's three really clear steps how to find peace in and of ourselves. So first look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So it says, A, don't be anxious in anything, but... With thanksgiving, meaning uh, thank God as you make your requests. When you uh, hit your knees to pray, when you sit down at the kitchen table at 6 a.m. to do your devotional, and you are going to lay out your request to God. It says, don't be anxious, but in every situation, with prayer, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Which is the opposite of this, of plugging our ears and la, 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 I can't, no, 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 God, I don't want that. I don't hear that. A lot of us pray that way. God, I want this, this, and this. Thank you for those things. That's all. And what it's saying is the contentment is found in the thanksgiving. Absolutely, make your request known to to God. Lay your situation out before the Lord. And it says, yet with thanksgiving, while you're asking. Like a child comes and says, may I please have dessert? And thank you no matter what your answer that's disarming. My, my kids are going to weigh like 900 pounds, right? Oh, okay, yeah, here, have, have, a whole, have the whole carton of ice cream. I don't care. But Dad, can I, can I please have a dollar? You know what? Thank you, like genuinely. Thank you even for considering my request. Okay, have 10. It's disarming. And it's not a, a manipulation trick on God. It's a humility of the asker. Do we ask God that way? Contentment comes in acknowledging that your life is in his hands. And that's what that is. That's what thanksgiving in the ask is. It's saying, you know what, this is what I'm aiming for, but it's up to you. And thank you because I believe you're going to choose the right path for me. It's trusting a God who, who made glory of his crucified son, who brings testimonies out of tragedies. It's trusting that God with every ask. Tim Keller said, God may not give you everything you ask for, but he will give you what you knew you would be asking for if you only knew what he knew. Which is another way of saying, God, give me what I need. Very few of us pray that way. We say, give me what I want. And if I get it, I say, thank you. And if I don't, I say, well, God didn't hear that prayer. He must not be listening. And the reality is he will give you exactly what you would ask for if you only knew what he knew. Second thing, first you pray. The second thing is you you think. Lays this out in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The world never says to stop and think when you're in crisis. You get techniques to control your thoughts. You get techniques to control your anxiety. And Paul actually says, stop and think. 
if you are short on peace, what you need to do more of is think. It's counterintuitive because we would tell a loved one, we'd say, hey, just stop thinking about it for a minute. Let's just leave it. You can't change it right now. Let's just not think about it. And Paul says, no, we need to think more. Consider, ponder, marinate on what though? On what's wrong? No. Because on what you know to be true, what you know to be right, what you know to be beautiful. So what would that look like? What does that progression look like? You run into trouble and you say, God, I'm supposed to think now. To start listing things you know to be true. There is a God. Okay? He made us. And he made us into a world free of brokenness. Okay? That's true. Then everything went wrong. Sin creates destruction relationally, societally, culturally. That's true. He sent Jesus to rescue us. And then Jesus tells us he's preparing something new for us, a new heavens, a new earth. He's making all things new. And you, you're invited. That's true. We think about, does he value me? Does God value me? God calls me his child. I am a child of God. What about my future? What do I think about my future? The Bible would say your future is secure in his grace. That's true. And so what if you can think of all those things? I don't know about you, but that slows my soul down a little bit to walk through what is true. Because God's kind of clever in this. What is true is also what's beautiful. What's true is also what's pure. What's true is also what's right. And so when we root ourselves in truth, we naturally receive the other things. And so Paul would say, if you can believe all of those things and not be at peace, you're not thinking. Because if you were thinking straight, peace would come. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, fixing our eyes on Jesus for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so it says, consider, same word as think, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Think of all the ways God could have chosen to save us. And he chose the way that would allow us to have a savior who was not a distant vending machine sort of God but was a God who experienced our greatest sufferings, who knew our weaknesses and our temptations, that Jesus put on our human suit and walked through this life. And Paul is telling the Hebrews, think on that. Think on it. You have a Savior who understands. Think about him and watch peace return. The third thing, after you pray and you think, it says practice. Philippians 4, 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Part of finding peace is practicing peace. We tell our children that at soccer practice. We tell our kids that when they're learning the piano or they're playing the flute. I hear the BGCA uh, elementary band, I think I hear them one or two days a week. Y'all practice makes perfect, okay? We're trusting in that. And they're pretty good. And yet I'm going, I don't know how to play the flute. I think she does, though. I'm pretty sure. We tell everyone practice makes perfect. Paul says practice makes peace. 
Start practicing peace. Pray about it with thanksgiving. God, I don't know what you're doing here, but I trust you. And then think about it. God, I know these things to be true. And then begin to practice what you say you believe. That's easier said than done, but it's clear what's being laid out. Whatever you have learned or received or heard, put it into practice and what? And the God of peace will be with you. Live it out. Pray it out. Think it out. Live it out. Personal peace then. We have peace with others. We have peace within ourselves. How do you have peace with God? Peace with God is complicated on one hand and radically simple on another. Peace is in Jesus and Jesus alone. What we see as we look at the scriptures, we look at the cross, and we see Jesus on the cross. We see Jesus in the garden saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We hear him cry out, if you can take this cup from me. And from the garden to the cross to the tomb, we see Jesus, the sinless Savior, go through agony we can't imagine. Bill Lane, a commentator on scripture, noted that crucified criminals would pass out long before death. The exhaustion of attempting to survive on a cross was too much, and eventually, exhausted, they would fall unconscious and eventually stop breathing. We read the scripture and we see that Jesus cries out in unfathomable pain moments before he breathes his last. Jesus took on something so radically anti-peace. Forsaken without God the Father. That's the darkness that overtakes him. That's the darkness that comes upon the earth when he hangs his head and dies. The Father has been removed from the life of Christ. And for the first time he gets a peek at what we deserve. And the reality of peace for you and I, is that Jesus lost his peace on the cross so we might have peace in him. True peace. The reality for us is that looking at that truth will get us through the most chaotic storms. Because going to church is a fine thing, but it won't get you saved. It won't find your peace. Because following Paul's three-step plan is a great thing, but if you don't have Christ, you won't have peace. Looking at the peace we can find only in Christ is the only way to get through the storms of life. And sometimes they're on the outside and everybody can see it. And sometimes every night or two we're putting a couple of Tylenol PM. Swallowing those and hoping tomorrow will be better. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer in Chicago in the 19th century. He lost everything he had in the 1871 Chicago fire. All of his work was gone, all of his uh, possessions, his home, all burned to the ground. He sent his wife, Anna, and his four girls to England. He put them on a boat as he tried to sort of sort through the rubble of their life. So he sends them to England for a trip, and he says, I'll, I'll come meet you eventually, but I've got to figure out what's going on here. We have nothing. On their way to England, the the boat hits another, the ship hits another ship, and the ship begins to sink. Anna pulls her four girls around, and they kneel to pray. 
asking God to save them as the boat begins to go under. All four girls drown. Anna is rescued. She's taken to London where she cables her husband. Two words. He'd heard about the shipwreck and was worried sick and she sends this cable and it says only saved alone. Horatio Spafford then gets on a boat to bring his wife home. Travels across the Atlantic Ocean where his four daughters are now lost. And on his way to go and retrieve his wife, facing unimaginable tragedy, he writes this hymn. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. The peace that is on offer through Jesus Christ is the peace that will take us in our darkest hour, to a place where it won't take the pain, but we will find ourselves whole and yet with hope because we were in desperate need of rescue and God said, I will send you the my most precious son. And so as we pray today, I want to pray for peace for you. Everyone is in a battle. Everyone is fighting a fight, some big, some small. So we'll pray for you. I'm also going to pray for the peace that comes only from surrender. That all peace is fought for and all peace requires surrender. And what we know from scripture is the fight was fought by Christ. He fought for peace on our behalf. And all that is required of us is that we would surrender. We would open our hands and receive his peace. And so maybe you prayed a magic prayer when you were in elementary school, maybe you went to summer camp and you prayed to receive the Lord. Maybe, maybe it was real. But maybe you haven't actually surrendered to God lately. And so what I'm going to do after I pray for your peace is I'm going to pray for my own peace and our peace. And I'd love for you in your own heart to join me in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, I want to say thank you for providing a space like this where our souls can rest and where our minds can slow and the distractions of the world for just a moment are silenced. Father, we thank you for Christ and what his life and his death means about ours. And yet, God, if we're honest, uh, everyone in here has a battle. Everyone in here has a fight. Everyone in here has uh, something that is designing to steal their peace. 
And so, Father, I pray for this community that you would uh, find us to be a people at peace. God, where there is unreconciled relationship, Father, give us the courage to make it right, to rest on you and you alone. Father, where we are facing a battle that we cannot tackle by ourselves, I pray that you would give us strength, that you would give us hope, that you would remind us of the truth in Jesus. Father, where we lack true peace in ourselves. Father, we open our hands to you again. We recognize that you fought for us, that you took uh, the penalty of our sin, that you laid your life down for what we rightly deserved. And because of you, all of our wrongs have been made right. So Father, thank you for sending Jesus, for fighting for us, Today we surrender afresh. Father, we lay our lives at your feet. With thanksgiving, we pray that you would make our lives right. And yet we trust that you will make our lives right whether we think it's right or not. Father, I lay my life at your feet again today. I acknowledge that there is no way to peace other than you. There is no way to salvation, to eternity, other than through Jesus. And so we believe on him anew today. We trust in him anew today. Father, we give you our lives. We give you our days. We give you our breath. And pray that we might be those people, the light in the darkness, that in a world that is increasingly destructive, in a place that causes more and more dismay, that we would be people of faith, the kind of faith that can look upon a world like that and say it is well. And when that destruction comes into our homes, into our lives, into our own hearts, that we would still be able to say, Lord, it is well because of what you've done for me. We trust you. So Father, we pray that you hear us this morning you would let us feel your embrace and let us know you. In Jesus' name, amen.